Introduction Welcome to the Abarta Audio Guide to Kildare Town. This audio guide was produced by Abarta Audio Guides in conjunction with Kildare Town Heritage Centre, Kildare Tidy Towns, Kildara Historical Society, the Grey Abbey Conservation Project and Kildare County Council. We will now begin our tour with your local guide, Liam Quinlivan. Nestled between the mighty rivers Liffey and Barrow, between the red hills and the low-cut bogs of Monavulla, Maddenstown and King's Common to the north and south, Kildare is a small rustic town known chiefly for its tourism, shopping, horse racing and its proximity to the 2,000 hectare plain, the Curra of Kildare. Kildare has been at the centre of Irish history for millennia. The original area was once known as Drim Creek, the Ridge of Clay, as it is a noticeable ridge in the landscape running from northwest to southeast. Kildare's origins stretch into the distant past. Overlooking the curragh to the southeast stands Dunalling, the seasonal home for a series of ancient Leinster kings. To the northeast lies the Hill of Allen, home to the legendary warriors of ancient Ireland, the Fianna, and their leader Finn McCool, whose hounds Bran and Skeolan would have hunted across the plains of Kildare. This band of legendary warriors raced their chariots across the plains of the Curragh, which, in time, became the focus of more modern Irish racing legends and home to the hugely successful Irish racing industry. It is with the arrival of a devout woman that this area became famous throughout Ireland and throughout the Christian world. Kildare derives from the Irish Kildara, meaning Church of the Oak. It was named after the church founded here under an oak tree by St. Bridget around 480 AD. Over time, Kildare developed into a great monastic city, a place where visitors and pilgrims were welcome and plentiful, a place famous across Europe. The town was said to be enclosed with the ecclesiastical site at the centre and suburbs outside. Unusually, for early medieval Ireland, Kildare also had streets paved with stone. And we find reference to the Street of the Stone Step, where a comb maker is said to have had his workshop in 909 AD. All of this wealth did not go unnoticed, and the Vikings raided Kildare 15 times from 835 AD. They were not the only ones to seek plunder at this growing town. Between 710 and 1155, Kildare was attacked and plundered at least 38 times by rival Irish warbands as well as the Vikings. The town was also an attractive base during the Norman invasions of Ireland, and a strong castle was constructed on one of the two hills that sit astride the ancient ridge of clay. In its later history, Kildare became a venue for aristocratic horse racing enthusiasts, and the setting for a tragedy during the 1798 uprising. We will encounter their stories later in our tour. We will now begin our tour 
at the Kildare Town Heritage Centre on Market Square. Kildare Town Heritage Centre. The Kildare Town Heritage Centre is housed within a handsome refurbished market house. It was formally opened as a heritage centre in 2001, but the building has had a long and varied history. The first record of a building in the square is on John Rock's map from 1757, which identifies the market house. This consisted of three adjoining buildings located where the Heritage Centre stands now. By Sherard's map of 1798, a single building stood at this location. But although it may incorporate parts of these earlier structures, the present building dates to the early 1800s. In the mid-1880s, a water tank was placed in the roof of the market house. It was filled by water pumped from St John's Well at Tully, as Kildare Town had no reliable water source. You can still see two cast iron water gauges from 1885 on the eastern side of the building near the roof. These were used to measure the levels of water in the tank. By the middle of the 20th century, the building had fallen into serious disrepair. However, in the early 1970s, the market house was brought back to life when it was carefully reconstructed. The building was transformed into a modern heritage centre in the 1990s and it was officially unveiled in 2001. Take a moment to visit the centre where you can find lots of information about Kildare and enjoy a short audio-visual presentation on the history of the town. When you are ready, venture back outside to the Market Square. The Market Square It is believed that markets were held here for a thousand years or more, and conceivably shortly after the monastic site was first established. Early medieval monasteries were often a place of craft and industry. The weekly Thursday market that still exists in Kildare Town is a tradition that goes back to a statute of Parliament from 1458. If you look at the southern wall of the Heritage Centre, you can see a plaque that commemorates the centenary of the 1903 Gordon Bennett Cup, the ancestor of modern Grand Prix races. The race was over a figure of eight circuit that incorporated parts of Kildare, Leash, and Carlo. The cup was won by the Belgian driver Camille Janazzi, who was nicknamed the Red Devil because of his wild driving style. Kildare Town was a vital control point on the route and the race is still commemorated annually on the June Bank Holiday weekend by the local vintage and classic car club. If you head over to the southern side of the square, near the traffic lights and pedestrian crossing, you can see the Monument of St. Bridget. St. Bridget is one of Ireland's most important saints. Much of what we know about Bridget comes from chroniclers like Cogitosis, who were writing more than a century after her death. 
The stories are entwined with legends and mythology, and aspects of the story of St. Bridget seem to be heavily influenced by a pre-Christian Irish goddess called Bridget. The name Bridget itself means the Exalted One, and many of the attributes of the goddess such as healing powers, poetic skills and learning may have been woven into the character of St. Bridget. It can be difficult at times to find the historical woman behind the stories. Bridget is believed to have been born in the middle of the 5th century, in either 439 or 452 AD, and is said to have died on February the 1st, 524 AD. This day became her feast day, La Fela Vrija, and people remember her by plaiting rushes into a cross. The 1st of February was also an important celebration in the pre-Christian calendar, it was Imbolg and marked the beginning of spring. Christianity in Ireland was in its early stages when Bridget was born in the 5th century, and the old gods were still worshipped across much of the country. The later biographies of Bridget tell us that she was the daughter of Dovok, a king of a minor tribe from around Fahart in County Louth, and his slave woman, Brickshuk. When Brickshuk became pregnant with Bridget, Dovok's wife became jealous and ordered her husband to send Brickshuk away. She was sold to a poet and then sold again to a druid, and it was in the druid's household that Bridget was born. Being a kindly man, the druid freed Bridget and her mother. They returned to Dovok, but he tried to sell Bridget into slavery again when he grew tired of Bridget donating all she had to the poor. He failed in that attempt, so instead pressured Bridget into accepting an arranged marriage. But the strong-willed Bridget steadfastly refused, and instead chose to take the veil and become a nun. There are many legends of miracles attributed to St. Bridget at Kildare, and these miracles still have echoes in the place names of areas around the town and county. The Curragh of Kildare itself is often called St. Bridget's Pastures. A legend tells that the King of Leinster had a terrible and unusual physical deformity. He had the ears of a donkey instead of a human. Not only embarrassing, having the ears of a donkey was also highly dangerous, as in early medieval Ireland a king had to be perfect in appearance and stature. The king had heard of many miracles being performed by Bridget. He reluctantly struck a bargain with her and promised her only as much land as her cloak could cover if she would only rid him of his deformity. Bridget agreed and promptly cured the king. To fulfil the bargain, she cast out her cloak which miraculously spread in all directions until it covered all of the great plain known as the Curra. The king, mindful of the miracle and Bridget's sanctity, granted her the land covered by the cloak, and the Curra became known as St. Bridget's Pastures. Bridget, Mary of the Gael, the patroness of Ireland, became a highly venerated saint 
both in Ireland and across Europe. And her cathedral at Kildare quickly grew in fame and importance. Head into the grounds of St Bridget's Cathedral to continue the story of Bridget and Kildare. St Bridget's Cathedral stands on the site of the original church of Bridget, which was established under an oak tree. It's from this church that the town gets its name, Kildara, the Church of the Oak. Nothing remains today of the original wooden church that Bridget would have created. The first stone cathedral here was built by the Norman Bishop Ralph de Bristol, Bishop of Kildare, in 1223. However, by the mid-17th century, this cathedral was almost entirely in ruins. It was rebuilt using much of the original fabric in the 19th century, and the grand neo-Gothic structure we see now dates to 1896. The architect of the reconstruction was the famous George Edmund Street, who was also responsible for the reconstruction of Christchurch Cathedral in Dublin. As you enter the cathedral, notice the unusual weathered plaque with Roman numerals, a skull and crossbones, and an hourglass. This is a memento mori, a representation of mortality, that time waits for no one and death comes to us all. It is a reminder for us to live our lives to the full in the brief allotted time we have remaining. You can find a more perfect example of a memento mori inside the cathedral. Within the cathedral, you can also find a small exhibition with information about the original foundation at Kildare. The interpretative model gives a representation of the cathedral at the time of Cogitosis, who was writing around 100 years after the death of Bridget. It was a large wooden structure built from oak, and it was unusual in that it had a wall in the centre that divided the abbots from the abbesses. Kildare was a foundation for both women and men. Cogitosis described how Bridget and St. Conleth the first Bishop of Kildare, were laid on the right and left of the ornate altar and rested in tombs adorned with a refined profusion of gold, silver, gems and precious stones, with gold and silver chandeliers hanging from above. Cogitosis gives an impression of a monastic city of incredible beauty and importance. In this area, you can also find some medieval grave slabs, including that of the powerful Morris Fitzgerald of Lacca and the ornate tomb of Walter Wellesley, Bishop of Kildare, who died in 1539. This tomb was moved into the cathedral from Great Connell, a site near Newbridge, to protect the tomb from weathering. It is a wonderful example of later medieval tomb sculpture. 
but it also has an unusual and hidden symbol of a pagan past. Look closely under the corner of the bishop's effigy, just above the depiction of Christ before Pilate, and you can find a small Sheila Nagig. These unusual erotic carvings were thought to ward off evil. As you walk through the cathedral, your eyes are drawn upwards to the remarkable neo-Gothic vaulting on the ceiling. With its curving regularity, it looks like the ribbing of a large wooden ship. The beautiful great western window depicts the lives of the three Irish saints, Saint Columba, also known as Colum Kill, Saint Patrick, and of course, Saint Bridget. When you are ready, make your way back outside. The Cathedral Grounds When you exit the cathedral, look to your right and you will find a hole in one of the cornerstones. This is known locally as a wishing stone. If you kneel and put your right arm through the hole, lean your left shoulder inwards and touch your heart with your right hand, you can make a wish. As you pass around the western side of the cathedral, you can see a number of 18th century tomb vaults. Continuing westward, you will see a plain granite high cross with a damaged ringed head. This probably dates to the early part of the 12th century, though it was believed to have been restored around the time of the renovations of the cathedral in the late 19th century. Move now towards the tall round tower. The round tower in Kildare is one of the tallest in Ireland, standing an impressive 33 metres tall, but lacks its conical roof. The battlements you see today were added in the 18th century. If the original roof was still intact, Kildare's round tower would be the tallest in Ireland. The doorway of the round tower is unusual, with a triangular hood made of red sandstone. The tower is largely constructed of limestone with a granite base, and it probably dates to around the earlier half of the 12th century. Scholars have long debated the purpose of these uniquely Irish monuments. It is generally accepted today that round towers were constructed as bell towers. They are known as Clig Choc in Irish, which translates to bell house. They would have also been visible from miles around, and as such, they would have acted like a signpost to weary pilgrims walking along the ancient routeways across the plains of Kildare. For a small fee, the tower can be climbed by visitors from the 1st of May to the end of September. Walking along the northeast side of the cathedral, you can find the reconstructed foundations of St. Bridget's Firehouse, where an inextinguishable fire was kept burning until the mid-13th century. The firehouse may again be a reminder of Bridget and Kildare's link with pre-Christian tradition. 
there are many myths and legends attached to the firehouse of Bridget. It was said that only nuns may enter to tend the flames in safety. The 12th century chronicler Gerald of Wales, who came to Ireland following the Norman invasions, noted stories about the perils for men crossing the thorn hedge boundary that surrounded the fire temple. In the early 13th century, the Bishop of London, Henry de Londe, had no fear or superstition of the fire temple. He denounced the sacred flame as a pagan practice and ordered it to be extinguished. However, local people secretly relit the fire and kept it burning until the Reformation in the 16th century. Today, the spirit of the flame is kept alive in a sculpture in front of the Heritage Centre in Market Square, and Bridget's flame is maintained locally by the Bridgetine nuns. When you are ready, return through the main gate to the Market Square and head eastwards until you come to a laneway beside the Silken Thomas restaurant. Walk up the laneway to the top of the hill where you can discover what remains of the once mighty Norman fortress of Kildare. Kildare Castle William Marshall was described by his contemporary, the Archbishop of Canterbury, as being the greatest knight that ever lived. He had made his name through his skill in battle and tournaments rising through the ranks of society, from relative obscurity to become one of the most powerful men in medieval Europe. It was Marshall who was responsible for transforming the timber and earthen fortification of Strongbow into Kildare Castle, a mighty stone fortress. There is little trace today of the castle Marshall had constructed. Like his other castles, Kildare was probably without a keep a large central tower used as the Lord's residence and main administration building. Instead, it would have been a large square or rectangular shaped castle with four large towers at each corner. Each of the towers would have had its own purpose. Only one of the four towers survives today. The surviving tower has changed considerably from its original construction. It stands four stories tall and around seven meters high. It was probably converted into a tower house by the end of the 15th century. Kildare would have been a walled town with four strong gates to control who entered the town. By 1246, Kildare was described as a manor, a place of administration and power. In 1276, a parliament was held in Kildare, a testament to the increasing status of the town. However, life for the Anglo-Norman settlers in Ireland was becoming more turbulent, and in 1288, the English king appointed a representative in Ireland. John de Sanford, Justiciar of Ireland, brought 100 knights to Kildare to stop attacks by the wild Irish. The ruler of Kildare in the late 13th century, William de Vesey, 
not only had to contend with raids by the Gaelic Irish, he also had a powerful Norman rival in John Fitzthomas Fitzgerald, Lord of Offaly. Fitzgerald managed to seize the castle in 1293, but it was attacked and captured by the Gaelic Irish Calvoc O'Connor in 1295, who burned all the records. A parliament was held at Kildare again in 1310, and in 1316 the castle was besieged by Edward Bruce, brother of the Scottish king Robert the Bruce, who had sent an army to Ireland to try and wrest control of the country from the English. Edward Bruce's siege of Kildare Castle failed, and later that year it was granted to John Fitzthomas Fitzgerald, who was named Earl of Kildare. The Fitzgerald dynasty would come to dominate Irish politics, rising to become the most powerful Anglo-Norman family. The power base moved from Kildare town to Maynooth, in the north of the county where they built a fine castle. As a result, Kildare town suffered politically and economically and began to fall into decline. The Bloody Nine Years' War, a rebellion by Gaelic-Irish lords led by Hugh O'Neill of Ulster at the end of the 16th century, took its toll on Kildare Castle. It was recorded that during the conflict in 1598, one of the towers of the castle was occupied by the Gaelic supporters of Hugh O'Neill, while the other was occupied by forces loyal to the English crown. In the later Catholic Confederacy Wars in 1641, the castle was burned by the rebels, but then reconstructed the following year by the Earl of Wandsford. But by this time, medieval castles were no longer useful as military strongholds. Cannons had become so powerful that the stone walls could not withstand them. The castle was left abandoned, and in the 18th century, became a refuge for Catholics fleeing the harsh penal laws. It came into the hands of the Fitzgeralds again, who turned the original Castle Bawn into a pleasure garden and people's park. Today, the last visible reminder we have of the once mighty fortress of Kildare that defied enemy sieges and dominated life in medieval Kildare is this large tower in the Silken Thomas car park. Walk back along the lane towards the market square. Pause at the bottom of the lane to view a bust of the Patriot, Lord Edward Fitzgerald, on the edge of the market square. Lord Edward Fitzgerald. The lane back to the Market Square and Dublin Street was once where Lord Edward Fitzgerald and his beautiful wife, Lady Pamela, would walk on their way to chapel. They were always accompanied by Lord Edward's faithful servant and friend, Tony Small, who had rescued Lord Edward from certain death during the American War of Independence. Lord Edward was the youngest son of the Duke of Leinster and he became the military leader of the United Irishmen, 
a revolutionary movement that rebelled against British rule in Ireland in 1798. As a young man, Lord Edward had fought on the British side against the American revolutionaries during the American War of Independence. He was even wounded at the Battle of Utah Springs. But he quickly became enamoured with the principles of the American Thomas Paine and later with the ideals of the French Revolution. The rebellion of 1798, however, was doomed from the outset, as it had been betrayed by numerous spies and informants. The rebellion was to cost some 30,000 lives, and rather than creating liberty for the Irish state, it ended the Irish Parliament and brought about the Act of Union, which ensured that Irish affairs would be governed in London. Lord Edward heard of the betrayal and went on the run in Dublin, but he was captured on the 19th of May, 1798. He killed one of his assailants, but he was badly wounded by a pistol ball in the shoulder. In this age before antibiotics, the wound became infected, which led to blood poisoning, and Lord Edward died. Today he is remembered fondly in Kildare for his bravery and gallantry by a bronze bust on the market square, his eyes fixed solemnly on Dublin. When you are ready, turn east towards Dublin. Walk past the Silken Thomas Bar and Restaurant along the northern side of Dublin Street. To continue your tour, turn right down Meadow Road, past Kilgowan Lodge, Stand with care at the entrance to the convent to hear about one of Ireland's first sporting superheroes. Dan Donnelly. The convent site was once in the possession of Captain Kelly of Maddenstown House, a well-known Illin Piper who trained the boxer Dan Donnelly to beat the Englishman George Cooper on the Curra in 1815. The fight took place in front of an estimated 20,000 spectators in a natural amphitheatre, afterwards immortalised as Donnelly's Hollow. Depressions in the ground were reputedly made by Donnelly as he left the scene victorious. A monument was erected at the site to commemorate one of the most famous sporting victories in Irish history. Dan Donnelly became the most famous sportsman of his age, but died in poverty. His body was either donated to medical science or taken by grave robbers. Donnelly's arms were of a peculiar length, the fingertips extended below the knee, and one arm was preserved by the surgeon. This eventually found its way into the possession of the Byrne family and became a tourist attraction in their pub, The Hideout, in Kilcullen for many years. It remains the property of the Byrne family and was on tour to the USA in 2006 and 2007 before returning to Ireland as part of the Fighting Irishmen exhibition. When you are ready, continue west to the junction of Meadow Road, Tully Road and St. Bridget's Square.
turn from the church to face south, where Tully Road offers access to one of Ireland's premier tourist attractions, the National Stud and Gardens. Tully, the Black Abbey, the Irish National Stud and Gardens, and St Bridget's Well. The road leading southwards from St Bridget's Catholic Church is the Tully Road. Across the motorway bridge on the left, take a moment to experience the Sullis Breed Centre and Hermitages, which focuses on Celtic spirituality and seeks to unfold the legacy of Bridget of Kildare. Tully, which denotes rising ground, is the site of the Black Abbey founded before 1212 AD, a commandery of the Knights Hospitallers or Knights of the Order of St. John of Jerusalem. They took their name from a hospital dedicated to St. John the Baptist, which had been founded at Jerusalem to assist pilgrims. They, like the Templars, were soldier monks. The Knights Hospitallers adopted the rule of St. Augustine and wore a black habit in the commandery, hence the name Black Abbey. Their members were identifiable by a black cloak with a white cross. There is a tradition that the Hospitallers bred horses at Tully. In the mid-16th century, Tully became the property of the Sarsfield family. And there is a local tradition that the great Jacobite general, Patrick Sarsfield, was born here. In June 1899, Tully was purchased by Colonel Hall Walker, later Lord Wavertree, who established a stud for the breeding and rearing of thoroughbred racehorses. Lord Wavertree offered the stud to the British government in 1915, and it proved to be a highly successful venture. On the 1st of January 1944, the Irish government took possession of Tully. The Irish National Stud Company was formed and the National Stud Act passed in the Dáil in August 1945. As well as being a world-renowned centre for breeding thoroughbred racehorses, the National Stud has become world-famous for its training courses. It is also home to the recently refurbished Irish Horse Museum, where the skeleton of the world-famous Arkell is on display. The Japanese gardens remain one of the most famous tourist attractions in Ireland, contained within the grounds of the National Stud. They were planned by Colonel Hall Walker and built by Tassa Ida from Japan at a cost of £38,000 from 1906 to 1910. The gardens were planned to symbolise the life of man from the cradle to the grave. The journey of the human soul through all its experiences from birth through to the afterlife. To celebrate the millennium, the Irish National Stud created St. Fiacre's Garden. St. Fiacre is the patron saint of gardeners, and this planned garden has four acres of woodland and lakeside walks designed to represent the monastic movement in the 6th and 7th centuries in Ireland. There is a fee to enter the National Stud and Gardens where you can choose a guided tour option 
or a leisurely stroll through spectacular scenery as hidden marvels unfold before your eyes. Why not relax with a coffee and sample the renowned homemade delights in the charming on-site cafe and gift shop? There is a popular St. Bridget's Well nearby at the Gralax. On leaving the National Stud and Gardens, retrace your steps towards the town until you come to the road west towards Newtown Cross, which is located almost directly across from the Black Abbey graveyard. A short distance along this road, you will see a narrow lane on the southern side of the road. Cross with care and continue to St. Bridget's Well. According to tradition, Bridget kept her cow there, prayed there, and made butter beside the stream. Pilgrims have always prayed on the mound beside the stream, and the site remains a place of pilgrimage, particularly during Fail of Regia, the festival of St. Bridget, which is held in February each year. A beautiful, spiritual setting awaits you. On leaving St. Bridget's Well, please retrace your steps northward along Tully Road to the town and St. Bridget's Square. St. Bridget's Square. The square, which is really a triangle, takes its name from the church, which is dedicated to St. Bridget and was originally the site of the Fair Green. From 1734 to 1881, between two and nine fairs were held per year in Kildare. But by 1894, they were held monthly. The Fair Green was moved to the north of the town after the coming of the railway in 1846 to accommodate the use of the railway in transporting livestock. St. Bridget's Square was also the former home of legendary Kildare footballer William Squires Gannon. He lived in the last house of the row on the CMWS site. Bill Gannon was a star footballer for local club Round Towers in the 1920s, but also for County Kildare and won All-Ireland medals in 1927 and 1928. He captained the county side to victory in 1928, the first time the Sam Maguire Trophy was ever played for, and so he has gone down in the GAA history books as the first man to hold the trophy aloft. Apparently, when he returned that day to Kildare Town, he went back to work to milk 13 cows before returning to the festivities. He was a staunch Republican and had been active during the War of Independence. During the Irish Civil War, he was imprisoned in Newbridge Barracks with the anti-treaty prisoners. Squires worked at the local water treatment plant on Tully Road he died on the 11th of March, 1967. When you are ready, head south, past the CMWS Hall, away from the town, along Grey Abbey Road, until you arrive 
at the enclosed graveyard and chapel ruin Grey Abbey. The Grey Abbey The Grey Abbey is a Franciscan foundation which dates to around 1254 and is credited to William de Vesey and Maurice Fitzgerald. De Vesey was Lord of Kildare, who made the original grant of land. But the abbey flourished under the patronage of the Fitzgerald dynasty, who replaced de Vesey as the rulers of Kildare. The Grey Abbey was named after the colour of the habits worn by the Franciscan monks. All that remains today are the ruins of the abbey church, but the remains of the foundations of the cloisters to the south of the abbey in Butler's Field are still visible in the undulating field surface. It is the burial place of at least four earls of Kildare. Possibly the earliest manuscript written in the English language in Ireland, which dates to around 1320, is attributed to Friar Michael of Kildare and the collection in the Bodleian Library, Oxford, is known as the Kildare Poems. Portions of the annals of the Four Masters were transcribed in the Grey Abbey by Brother Hall O'Clerig in 1627 and again in 1637. Almost in the centre of the graveyard is a large grave with an imposing stone monument. This monument was erected in 1948 by the National Graves Association at Grey Abbey to commemorate seven men executed in 1922 on the Curra during the Irish Civil War and reinterred here in 1924. The Rathbride Column, who were part of the irregular or anti-treaty forces, had been in operation along the railway line near Kildare. They were captured in a dugout at Moores Bridge near the Curra Racecourse with a considerable cachet of arms. Their intelligence officer, Thomas Bean from Rathangan, was killed on the spot, although official reports say he was killed trying to escape from the Curra. The remainder were executed at the Curra prison, the glass house shortly afterwards, and buried without funeral or ceremony. Apparently, when they were to be reinterred, the priest refused to allow the bodies to lie in the church and they were waked instead in the courthouse. Another local story also concerns the reinterment of the executed men in 1924. There was an exceptionally large police presence on the day to prevent a Republican demonstration, but a shot, or shots, were fired over the grave. The police and plainclothes men ran to the graveside to arrest the perpetrators but no sign of a gun could be found. Apparently, the gun was hidden in one of the women's umbrellas and they were not about to be coerced or cooperate with the forces of the state. A monument was unveiled to the executed Republicans on the Market Square in 1935. It was the single largest execution during the Irish Civil War and provides the inspiration for a book by local award-winning author Martin Malone, The Silence of the Glasshouse. When you are ready, 
Turn to the next track. Conclusion. Conclusion. In keeping with Kildare's history as a centre of markets, trade and commerce, Kildare Village was opened in 2006 and is home to high-end international and domestic fashion brands, offering a unique retail experience. Three features have been added to the village, which serve to recognise the importance of the heritage of the town and surrounding area. Two bronze Irish wolfhounds, Bran and Skeolan, the hounds of Finn McCool, legendary hero and leader of the Fianna, who had their home on the nearby hill of Allen. An oak tree, symbolising the establishment by St Bridget of her church at Kildare in the late 5th century. And a monument to the Friars' Well, acknowledging the contribution of the religious orders to the development of Kildare. We hope you have enjoyed your tour through thousands of years of Kildare's history. If you would like to learn more about the fascinating story of Kildare, then we highly recommend dropping into the Heritage Centre on Market Square, where you can find details on the great walking tours around Kildare and the area and you'll discover a number of superb guidebooks that are filled with facts and images about Kildare's history. Gunairi on Boher Lat. May the road rise to meet you.